Welcome to Coffee and Conservation, hosted by Dr. Beth Baker, Assistant Extension Professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture at Mississippi State University. From water and soil to habitat and food production, Dr. Baker and her guests discuss the necessity and complexity of conservation in the U.S. All right, welcome back to another edition of Coffee and Conservation. Uh, Today we're talking about developing a natural resource enterprise, um, which hopefully supports conservation. Uh, But I'm here with my friend, mentor, colleague, Dr. Daryl Jones, extension professor in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Aquaculture here at Mississippi State University. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, Beth. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Love having you come on in and give us all your knowledge here, Uh, archive it. (laughs) I won't take but 30 seconds. (laughs) Well... The last time you were on, you gave us a little bit about your your uh, kind of career path. Yeah. But tell me more about how you came to work in natural resource enterprises. Um, I guess I'll get, Beth, I'll probably get more personal with you on this. My dad was a uh, agribanker. Mm-hmm. So he worked a lot with farmers and other people in town, in the town of Vicksburg as well, small business owners and people that he actually told me that he, he lent money to people to pay the light bill. You know, mm-hmm. um, so he had, he was very much friends with the farmers and uh, had many loans that way and was conservation minded as well. My mother was was uh, very much so conservation. She was real tender hearted. She wouldn't kill a fly in the house. We put it outside. Mm-hmm. And I still got some of that. And I, I'm an avid hunter. But uh, the older I get, I like to look at wildlife and not, not harvest them, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I get it honest. Um, I've enjoyed the bi- the business aspects of, of my life. And I was, a, as I mentioned to you earlier, I was a banker to be like my dad. But I, I, I wanted to come back to the conservation side of things and particularly try to do more to uh, give landowners and people a, a reason and, and to do conservation on the property mm-hmm. and why to do it. And many of the landowners I work with already are doing conservation or they have a conservation, what I would call an ethic for conservation. So they're interested in it. So I just try to give them good tools Mm -hmm. to accomplish their land management goals. And some of that may be income oriented with various types of businesses. Some maybe not. They just want to do conservation. So I work, work that. So I came to that to answer your question, but just because of my, probably my parents Mm -hmm. and my, and my interest and, Maybe I can leave my small mark in some way by helping uh, more conservation be put on the ground and water and and go to sleep at night thinking about that. Oh, yeah. It's so interesting that uh, for those of us that work in this field, that's it's usually some kind of a mm-hmm. personal experience. I mean, right. nobody's in it for the money. No. 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 I can show you that. <laughs> um, We'd be neurosurgeons or uh, something like that. Mm-hmm. But it is, <laughs> it's definitely something that that's kind of passed through the family. Yeah, I think sentiment. so. I think so. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's a good reason to do what you, you know, have have more of a holistic or a uh, heartfelt reason. Not that, you know, I've been fortunate in my life to go to school and, and get educational degrees and what. Not everybody has that opportunity. So mm-hmm. I've been really, I, I've been really blessed and fortunate to do that. So in my way, in my mind, I guess I'm saying I want to make that count. Mm-hmm. And kind of this that's my, for, for lack of a better way, that's my 
my gift back is to try to put more in conservation in, in Mississippi and in you know in, in the world itself. So. Mm-hmm. And connect the dots for folks that didn't have the same kind of life experiences that perhaps we had right. to um, right. kind of right. make it a part of our general ethic. And yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I've been lucky in that regard to have those opportunities. So, mm-hmm. so for our folks that don't know, because I'm sure there's plenty plenty that are, are not entirely sure what we mean when we say mm-hmm. natural resource enterprise. Sure. What are we talking about? It's just, um, in my mind, is incentivizing conservation through businesses that a landowner can can participate in and engage in on his property if he or she is interested in it. Now, I'm an old ex-banker, and as a result of that, I'm kind of crusty around the edges. So, uh, and I say that to say I'm the first to talk somebody out of a bad business decision because I was trained to look at those numbers, you know. So if I've got, you know, so if it's a deer hunting operation or a fee hunting operation and, and the landowner only has 100 acres, it's like, well, we might want to rethink of this and think about this and maybe do something else. Um, but getting back to your question, looking at some business opportunities on their property to do either hunting or, or fee fishing type opportunities, wildlife watching, which continues to grow mm-hmm. quite a bit worldwide and in the United States, um, and kind of fell into this basket, but agritourism, mm-hmm. um, farm tours on the property, rural accommodations. I mean, I'm, I'm for one, I love to go off somewhere off the beaten path and find a place to stay and have coffee in the morning while you're looking at the river. I mean, that's that's entertainment for me. So uh, bed and breakfast, rural com- any of these kind of opportunities, I work with uh, landowners to, to look at options of doing these kind of businesses. And it's not to, Beth, it doesn't take the land out of maybe its traditional practices with, say, growing timber, forestry, or even agricultural production, but it can be done in concert with that. Or if it's not a, if it's not working lands, it can be it can be completely tweaked over to more of an NRE type operation. So uh, th- this is that's what it is. Looking mm-hmm. at business opportunities, and they do conservation in in with that business. It helps the business, but it also puts more of the habitat quality on the ground. So. I'm glad you explained the breadth of what that can be, because some people think, oh, it's going to be a, a hun- hunting outfitter, yeah, yeah. something like that, right. you know, some right. kind of outfitting. But it is so much more than that. I'm it glad is. you brought up the different ecotourisms, agritourism, because yep. that Major is right. booming. And so are folks that want to get out of the city and just check right. out right. in a rural area. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Work with a. This is a uh, off the tangent, and you cut me off if I go too long. Working with a uh, group in on the West Coast, Country Natural Beef. They're the they're grass-fed beef production, and so they have five to ten thousand acre ranches per landowner per rancher. That's in this conglomeration to produce grass-fed beef, and they they were the primary, still are I think the primary beef beef producer for Whole Foods. Oh wow. And so one of the things they were interested in NRE about, you know, we know how to raise a cow. We know how to produce beef. But, you know, we're, we're interested more in bringing people out on our ranch to let them see that we're good conservationists. Mm-hmm. You know, we have sage grouse on our property. That's impressive, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and so we can make conservation work in with our beef cattle production. So, um, 
they had me there to kind of help them with that ladder, you know, with the with the with the conservation in and then the NRE business approach. So, uh, and that was one thing. One of the things that was interesting to me uh, that they actually told me this said we get a bad rap, we think, as a, the beef producers, of not being conservation minded. And we want to tell our story by bringing people out to see it. Mm-hmm. So that that had really wasn't something I had thought about. So um, that's kind of part of that NRE approach. So it has a it's, it is to answer it is broad. Mm-hmm. Well, kudos to them because that. I mean, telling the stories of farmers, the difficulties of of farming, um, man, there are so many farm stories we need to tell. And the consumers, the consumer base is so kind of split with, you know, like a, an educated, wealthy consumer base that really want those grass-fed products, but right. still don't always know what it takes to That's produce right. them. That's right. And then you've got, you know, lo- folks that are not in that economic social class to even buy products like that and they just want the cheapest product out there which is a totally different product yes it has to be grown differently yes and sometimes can be much more taxing on the environment yes and that how is it grown question is not well understood by the general public and what that means for the person producing it and how much labor how much energy how much time how much money um, right. So those are those are things we'll have to unfold in different episodes. But I'm glad we at least touched on right. it because those are big gaps in, in consumer producer knowledge and like in between uh, of understanding how your food is grown. And you know, it's a and and the consumers are more interested in that than ever now. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, getting I mean, them on the farm, getting them on the farm to see it, and then you're getting producers talking to the consumers mm-hmm. and to the general public as well. And so it kind of shows that we're all in the same boat together. Oh, yeah. We all need food. We all need all clean water. Eat. We're all going to have to use clean water. And where does water come from? Why is it so valuable? And why is it so important? Mm-hmm. So um, what a precious commodity we, ha- we have there. So, uh, so we have to be good stewards to leave enough so we can recharge for the next generation. But at the same time, I think kind of what you're saying, get all the groups together and talking and communicating, mm-hmm. I think is important. Absolutely. Um, I'm thinking back. I don't want you to share all your secrets, uh, of course. Won't be many to share. <laughs> <laughs> but w- with this breadth of different NREs mm-hmm. um, and, and folks that might be kind of overwhelmed with the idea, this idea of adding and, mm-hmm. a natural resource uh, enterprise to their already kind of busy management of their property, um, kind of person usually approaches you saying they want to start one or what you know who are the most interested fo- folks that could start one relatively easily you mm-hmm. know is there a certain amount of land they have to have a certain type mm-hmm. of land they have to have right uh it really that's a good question it's a hard question because it there's not a general type person mm-hmm. i deal with as far as a landowner is they shoot the gamut okay um but one that is that is so, for example, there could be farmers that are ag producers or timber growers or both. Or, there, as, as I mentioned earlier, there could be folks who just have landowners that own land that are thinking about, well, you know, there's some, there's some merchantable things here that can I make more money on my property but still do conservation on it and keep it in a natural state. And the answer with NRE is yes, you can mm-hmm. do that. Uh, but one of the things to get... I think an easy one that comes to mind, and as you mentioned, hunting is real is a traditional recreation here in the South, particularly in Mississippi. Uh, hunting leases are a real easy one to do. Now, if, it, if landowner they hunt the property, I don't want anybody on my property. That, that's fine too. So maybe a lease 
wouldn't be an option for you. But if you've got a larger track, let's say, or one of the things I'm seeing more of now than ever before, and I know you're seeing it too, Beth, and what you're working with, are absentee landowners. Mm-hmm. So it was, uh, one comes to mind, a, a lady, a stewardess in Houston, Texas. And she, uh, her father passed away in the, the land in Marks, Mississippi, the plantation, the working farm. Yeah. She's got it now. And she, she came to, years ago, she came to a workshop we had in Cobo. Marks isn't big. No. It's got to be the plantation. In That's Marks. right. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> came to a Panola County workshop. And she was looking for options. She didn't want to farm it because she was mm-hmm. living in Houston. But are there some other options I have? to get me some income on the property. So uh, more absentee landowners, but circling back like a hunting lease, if they're not using the property to hunt or say they're not fall um, deer hunting, let's say, but they love to turkey hunt, I could do a fall lease for whitetail deer and I help people price their leases and kind of write, end up doing a lot of legal work to help write their, help them get their legal agreement, the language right and think through some potential problems on the front end so they don't have a problem. Uh, so that's one that that's one that they could easily do and not very intensive, but it can go into hunting outfitter businesses, but what wildlife watching, agritourism, nature-based tourism, depending on their interests. And of course, landowners have different interests there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I try to be a good listener and Think about what they're and, and listen to their landowner objectives, and then make recommendations. Let's look at these options. Right. So it just really all depends on um, kind of the person and what they want to do on their property ultimately. So. I would imagine that those could shake out being different levels of m- management and yeah. advertising. Yeah. For. I mean, because you're, you're starting a business right. a bit. And if around here, hunt clubs are so popular. Very. Being from Minnesota, they're, I, I not, there are not that many hunt clubs. Like, right. people just own smaller tracts of land right. or, or hunt, hunt public land. Right. Um, but around here, it's a big deal. So that's right. one where, you know, if you set up set up the yeah. lease or yeah. whatever it may be, yeah. then, it's kind, then it's kind of rolling, especially if you have the same clientele every year. That's right. As opposed to if you're setting up ecotourism yeah. then you're advertising right. you're managing books and then it's different. really yeah it's like a real year-round business right or, or seasonal or organic farming whatever right. yeah i mean it's it's a little bit more hands-on as you're saying a little bit more intensive mm-hmm. and the marketing yeah like agritourism um with corn mazes and getting kids on the farm or you pick operation That'll be, you pick can be in the summer, but thinking about getting the kids on the farm for farm tours, that's an October thing. Mm-hmm. But they will be intense from September, October, 1st of November. That's their time. So, you know, they may have five, ten thousand 10,000 visitors then, but it's really, really intensive. You know, I've, and I've heard, and I don't mean to say it sound too joking with this, but I've heard, you know, I'm thinking about agritourism, but, you know, I don't really want kids on the property. So well, we won't, we might want to rethink that. <laughs> I know so, you're joking, but I've, I mean, I've heard the same thing. And there's there's a, a great little farm outside Starkville, just where we live. And I, and I, last time I was out there for a field day, I was like, so do you let people come out here? Right. They're like, no, we don't want any people. I mean, like, <laughs> which it is, it's a liability because right. it's not cheap or no. not laborious to produce right. an organic crop of anything That's or right. a crop of vegetables nonetheless. That's right. So if you have folks that don't know how to stay in the stay in their lane, you know, right. stay on the stay on the pad, right. not in the field. Right. 
you right. can do some damage. That's I right. I mean, it's not a wild hog, but you can do some damage. That's <laughs> right. And one, of, I, let me make this point because I may forget to say it. The the deterrent from landowners that are thinking about doing one of these NRE opportunities, like we're calling them here, is wor- they're worried about getting sued. They're worried about getting someone hurt, and then I'm going to lose my farm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there are. If you're not charging, it, it depends on the type of visitor you're having on your property. If you're just someone is an invited guest, you don't owe any special treatment to them. Somebody's fishing in my pond, they just ask me. As long as I don't get them hurt or get them drowned at the pond, I have no liability there. Mm-hmm. I'm not making anything off of that. So I don't owe them any more of a, of a duty than I would a trespasser. Oh, so when so that changes when they're paying. When you pay, that's why Walmart, you know, in the grape aisle, when they spill grapes, they pick them up, they put those triangles out there where they mop the floor. As long like, as they have the triangle? They're, they're, they're telling you that there's a hazard here, and they're notifying you. And that's a legal end. And they don't want you to get hurt, but they're, they're, you're there, and you're there in the grocery store out of their, for their benefit, so you're a paying guest. So you owe a little bit greater, you owe, owe greater duty to someone that is a paying guest. But as long, in Mississippi code, as long as you're doing what a reasonable person would do to keep someone safe, I'm warning you of hazards I have on the property. Um, I'm fixing hazards that I can fix, but I tell you all that, mm-hmm. and you're aware of that as the paying guest, then you really have done, We don't, I don't see a lot of lawsuits where landowners are getting held up. But, it's, but it's still a fear. It's fear a fear. Thing. So that that is the over, that's the deterrent now is to, and once they find out there's some common sense, you know, don't let the tail wag the dog on that. Don't mm-hmm. overshoot it. Mm-hmm. And I help them. And I've got a real good friend as an attorney um, in, in Flowood, Mike how con- Massey. How convenient. Yeah, yeah. And he's a big <laughs> Mississippi State guy. I have a neighbor who's an attorney. <laughs> They're good friends to have. Uh, you know, he went to Ole Miss Law School. We won't hold that against him. But mm-hmm. he is really, really good with landowners. But we drill down quite a bit and work with landowners about making their property safe, um, but then notifying people, doing it in writing, use liability waivers. We don't have time, I know, to get into a lot of this. But there's some common sense thing, commonsensical things that landowners can do, and you really removed a lot of the risk. Mm-hmm. It still takes time, though, especially if you're an absentee landowner. Yeah. Because then you, first of all, have to know about what's going on in the property, <laughs> you know, That's especially with, mm-hmm. with all the kind of extreme weather events we've been having lately you know we've got tornadoes we've got flooding we've got major rainfall a lot of stuff shifts last time Absolutely. i was driving in the delta with all the water moving around just coolers floating over there right. and some oh, other debris you know so you don't even know what's floating right. into the property um let alone if you've got a third-party land right. manager that's right because now you've got it i mean let's just be honest communication is one of the hardest things that's for right. us all to do especially when you've got now the leasee, right. the land owner, and right. the land manager. Right. So even if the language is pretty straightforward and simple to just reasonably reasonably let them know what a reasonable person would do right. and, and share and communicate, those wires can get crossed so oh, yeah. easy. Very, very easy. And with people, they get crossed. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, and one of the things you said right there reminds me of saying, well, two things quickly. Uh, another, I think, a benefit, not trying to be a salesperson here, I don't mean it that way, but a benefit of NRE on an absentee landowner, if you've got a group of clients, say they're friends, and they're going to turkey hunt the place and 
watch over it in the fall as well and do bird watching or whatever. That gives that gives you as a landowner, if you live in Memphis, gives you eyes on the ground. But I, I've had people actually tell me this more of the um, urban folks uh, that actually have mentioned. You go, I got land in rural Mississippi. I'm I'm rarely there. Do you think anybody's hunting it? I said, Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so you do have to kind of have somebody checking it, and people and. Don't take this wrong, Beth, but local folks or the, the 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 ones that have a tendency to trespass, they've got eyes out, and if they don't, you know, if they can get on a piece of property, they might. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I would just do diligence to kind of watch over your your land and and make sure you owe no duty though to them. I've had landowners that are worried about it and make this point. You know, if I get a trespasser hurt on my property, I might be sued. I said no. You owe him or her their trespassing. That's against the law. Mm-hmm. And you're not benefiting from them. They're not even supposed to be there. You owe no duty. Now, you can't set a spring gun trap for them. <laughs> uh, so you can't, you know, the the castle doctrine, if, if, if somebody's coming in your house, you can you can physically protect yourself right. but you can't do that with your deer stand you know you, you can't you can't, you can't set, set a, a trap. trap but other than that you owe them no duty as a trespasser or even a visitor so i think people are worried about that and we get back to what i mentioned we do a lot to kind of work with them to um they can still do an nre but not have to worry about the um, standpoint of legal legal liability not worry about it as much we may have to circle back with you on another episode because I, I am certain that there's some folks listening that are probably going to be calling your sure. office saying we want more information on this because there's so many different ways to do it. So Absolutely. many little things to consider, but such a great way to utilize family property. You and I can do more workshops together. That's right. Folks, if you want a workshop, a private workshop with us, you let us know. I'll bet. We'll do it. All right. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, we're going to have you back to talk conservation legacies. As always, you can find more information on our website or in the show notes after the show. And we always want to acknowledge and thank our primary sponsor, the Mississippi Natural Resources Conservation Service, for their support of this podcast. Thanks for joining us for Coffee and Conservation. To find out more about the topics discussed, visit the REACH website at reach.msstate.edu or the Mississippi State University Extension Service website at extension.msstate.edu.